recording this at 4.20 in the afternoon on October 4th, 2020. So by the time you hear this, the New York Rangers have taken Alex Laf- Lafier, Laf- Lafre- Laf- Lafre- Lafrenier? Laf- Lafrenier. I swear, I've heard people say ends, but I'm not seeing them. Welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, a hockey show that's ranked 31,215th overall in the Sportsnet Fantasy Hockey Pool. I'm Stuart Jones, and with me is Darren Plett. Welcome, Darren. Thanks, Stu. That's a that's a 30,000th? That's not too bad, is it? I have no idea. I got an email saying that that's how well I did, and I didn't even realize I was enrolled in that hockey pool. So <laughs> There's got to be at least 60,000 hockey fans, right? So, 50th percentile? Sure, we'll go with that. Anyway, speaking of how poorly we do at hockey things, (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about our predictions from last episode, shall we? Yes, let's, please. I can't wait to hear what I picked and how horrible it went. Well, so there was only one thing to predict, who would win the Stanley Cup, and, you know, believe it or not, that's not that easy to do. Um, I believe I had Tampa winning the series in seven over Dallas for those who really weren't paying attention. And you had Dallas winning the series in six Mm -hmm. and Tampa ended up winning the Stanley cup. So for those of you who get all your hockey news from us, that's like a week old news by now, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, Tampa won the Stanley cup in six games. We, we knew Dallas was good they were fighting hard and they did fight hard throughout this series uh they kept some of the games close but you know dallas is good tampa is just way too good right Uh, you know as much as we like the underdogs and the cinderella stories you know st louis last year obviously comes to mind the tampa bay team has just been way too good for way too long for this not to pay off for them eventually so I'm kind of glad they finally got it. And also that way now we can just kind of move on and not talk about them anymore. (laughs) Yeah. In hindsight, you know, we talked about Tampa as being overwhelmingly good. And I guess my pick was more because we talked about Dallas so much last episode and I had a whole thing on their secret sauce and what made them tick. But like Tampa's an overpowering team. You see the offensive power they've got with, point and kucherov and and stamkos who checked in for a whole 20 seconds and scored a goal and you see you know victor hedman winning the con Smythe as a defenseman while scoring the most goals that any defenseman has ever in the playoffs like how are you supposed to stop that if you're dallas and dallas put together a pretty good effort but you know they did sustain quite a few injuries which really didn't help their cause injuries to their depth it came out afterwards that tyler sagan was playing injured which i guess really shouldn't surprise us considering how poorly he played and you know dallas eventually just fell short and i think that's not all that surprising when you consider just how good tampa is to anyone though who thinks this year the winner gets an asterisk next to their name Uh, Like that asterisk better lead to a note that says that Tampa won the hardest Stanley Cup tournament in recorded (laughs) history and deserves all the praise, if not more, from loyal hockey fans everywhere. So I don't want to hear anyone talk about how, oh, well, it didn't count. It wasn't a real one. Like, come on. No, it was more real than anything ever. Like that was a hard tournament for anyone. And, you know, although 
Tampa didn't play in the qualifiers. Technically, they still had games against some t- tough opponents before the playoffs to get them quote unquote warmed up. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you warm up getting, you know, the crap kicked out of you by Boston and Philly, but uh, it doesn't sound like an easy going for me, but I think they deserve all of our praise. Um, it was tough and congrats to them. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, it's there better not be an asterisk. And people, I think there will be people that give it one, but there will be a thankfully a very small minority. I think a lot of people are in agreement that it was, it was very difficult. And you gotta, like, you gotta look at this from Dallas's perspective. They were in the bubble for two straight months. You get tested for COVID every day, and I personally haven't had that done to me yet, but. You know, you hear about it, it's pretty uncomfortable. You get that done every single day. The guys with uh, immediate family don't get to see their families for two straight months. And for Dallas, they were in the same hotel rooms for those that period of time, and they lost. They got nothing out of it. Like, they, they got to the cup final, sure, but to them, they didn't win anything, and they were just in that bubble for two months without seeing family, and they came away essentially with nothing and you could see it in the press conferences afterwards. They they were asking Jamie Ben questions and it took him a painful amount of time to answer the questions. Like he was pretty much just despondent to anyone that asked him a question and you could see the toll that it had on these guys. So it was definitely a real, very real, very difficult playoffs and there definitely should not be a note saying that it was anything other than that. Yeah, totally agree. All that being said, though, it was a little bit different. There were a few things that I noticed. I don't know about you, particularly after the or as the cup was being awarded. Uh, Number one that was a little disappointing was Gary Bettman not getting booed. (laughs) You know, we we were told at one point that, uh, you know, whoever was doing the audio engineering, they had some boos ready and then and that they had even, you know, acknowledge that you know gary would have to approve of this usage and he had done so which is what makes him all the more awesome but apparently i don't know what happened i guess someone just got a bit gun shy with it and it it never came through but bettman did okay the use of it that's (laughs) the most important audio clip they could have played for the entire playoffs and they blew it yeah so and you know a With that in mind, I never really miss the fans throughout this whole thing. Uh, Like I I like the, just the sounds of hockey and I appreciate hearing that a little bit more. Of course, the commentators were still there and of course they do a fine job. I don't get on them for that, but you know, I I do kind of wish we got a little bit of just the raw sound of an empty arena playing hockey. That would have been kind of cool. Although seeing the bolts do their sort of victory lap with the cup to an empty arena was quite sad looking in my mind. So that was the one point where I was like, yeah, this looks kind of pathetic. <laughs> yeah, you don't get a lot of fan interaction in the NHL, but it's definitely weird to not see fans on TV and to not, you know, see them going ballistic if it's at home for a Stanley Cup win or watching them angrily file out of the building if it's not at home. But uh you know, the, the fan dynamic, even though it was a bit strange, I think was handled very well by the NHL. The, I thought the crowd noise felt natural. I think, you know, some people will differ in that opinion. But to me, it it added to the game and it, it sounded natural enough that I never really, like it never stuck out to me, which I think is a good thing. 
And uh, I think that there wasn't so much attention drawn to the no fans and they made the stadiums look nice. So I think it all, you know, it all went just fine. It's, it's the best you can do of a very strange situation. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. And, you know, I, I did notice the fan noises sometimes and it, it, it got me when I did pick them up and kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. And like I said, I would have enjoyed it a little bit more without, but that being said, the majority of the time it was much more subtle and not too intrusive. So I, you know, I can't complain too much. They're doing what they can on completely new circumstances. So I think overall, they definitely did a really good job of pulling this thing off. Yeah. All in all, I think that that's as good as we could expect from something called the bubble. And uh, as good as it went, I hope we never have to see it again, honestly. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that, I guess. So now that the Stanley Cup has been handed out, it's officially the offseason. And we're not entirely sure how long this offseason is going to be, <laughs> but it's already going to be a little bit crazy, I think, with the flat salary cap being as it is and certain teams looking to cut salary and the draft is happening in two days from recording and free agency is October 9th. There's a lot of, as they say, balls in the air as GMs are trying to juggle things around. So I think Stu and I are going to take a look at what we see from our teams in this off season period. We're going to start with the Calgary flames who kind of crashed and burned in a way out of the playoffs. The last game was a, a spectacular flop, which leads to a lot of cries for change in the Flames organization. And I believe I said pretty shortly after uh, in the episode after the Flames exited, I probably said something along the lines of this team's going to see a lot of change this offseason. And I've kind of changed my stance a little bit on that, partially because, you know, after your favorite team gets absolutely shellacked in the playoffs, you tend to have a bit of an overreaction. And also something I recently heard from GM Brad Treliving. Uh, he had some media availability lately, and he uh, he went out to praise Tampa as an example of not blowing up your team after a big loss and players learning from it. Because if you remember Tampa Bay came into playoffs last season as the clear favorites to win the cup once again. And they were completely blown out by Columbus in four straight games, no less. And I guess GM Treliving looks at this as, you know, Tampa didn't sell all their uh, good players and look for, you know, gritty players to fill the gaps and blow up their team and all this stuff. Instead, they, added a couple pieces at the trade deadline. They kept the whole team together and look what happened to them. They made it to the Stanley cup. So he's using this as his example of what he thinks the Calgary flames could be as you know, the flames have kind of failed in expectations the last couple of years. Sure. They made the playoffs, but fans are looking for them to get past the first round, which would be very nice. Um, so I think true living's kind of expecting this core of like Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan. Mark Giordano to take the next step and make it further in the playoffs. Here's the problem. Tampa has been very good for a long time, right? Like when you think of Tampa, you don't think of repeated first round exits and being on the bubble of the playoffs and not always making it in. You think of 
You know, they were in the Stanley Cup final in 2014. They've been in the conference finals twice since then. You know, you expect Tampa to do well because they're always right on the edge of winning. So when their GM didn't blow up the team, it kind of made more sense because they've had sustained success throughout the past six years or so, whereas Calgary, uh, not so much, unless you consider tanking out of the first round to complete success. So I guess I think I see it a little bit differently from Brad Living. And look, I like Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau. I think they're fun players to watch and I'm kind of attached to them. But I don't think they're going to be able to get the Flames farther in the playoffs. They either need help or they need to be used to somehow get more help. And I'm not I'm not really much of an armchair GM in terms of like predicting trades and you know, what would make this team better. But I, I don't know if I see those two being the centerpieces of a team that will make it all the way to the Stanley Cup. So that's kind of how I see uh, this offseason is the Flames kind of standing pat a little bit, maybe making some minor trades. But I think that because GM Bradshaw Living sees it as, you know, this team needs to learn and get past the first round, I don't think he's too willing to make big trades. So, you know, I would like to see some, and maybe I've read this completely wrong, and that they will go out and do some crazy stuff, but that's not necessarily what I think is going to happen this year. Yeah, how, how much do you think uh, True Living's comments were sort of a, look, I should keep my job because that guy did the same thing and won a Stanley Cup eventually? Uh, I honestly don't think he's too worried about his job because he just got a three-year contract extension. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, like, I'm sort of a fan of his. I think he's done pretty well. The Flames drafting has been really strong. Sure, they haven't been a super successful team, but there's been some other factors besides his team building, and he's made some good trades and stuff like that. I don't think the Flames' failures are all on him. Some people definitely do, and that's a viewpoint you're allowed to have. But for my part, I think he's done pretty well, and it seems like the owners see it that way too because they've extended him for three more years. So I don't think that was like a, look at me, I'm doing good. I'm doing the same thing as this guy. Please don't fire me. I think it was kind of his overall mindset about the offseason. Yeah, I, I think he's good too. I don't think he's been... I think he's been good for Calgary. I don't think he's been the problem. If there is one particular problem, it's definitely not him. So I would mm -hmm. agree that he's, he shouldn't actually be worried. But, you know, at the same time, when a team is in a place that it looks like, or at least from a lot of people's perspective, it looks like it needs to blow up then. And if someone's not blowing it up, then maybe that's the place to blow it up. So you never know. Right. But I totally agree with you. I don't think he should actually be worried. Uh, and I Think for good reason too so yeah for sure and speaking of gms that don't really need to worry at this point uh the oilers gm he shouldn't really have to worry because this is you know the end of his first year on the job so if he's scared for his job that means something has gone horribly wrong uh what do you see in the oilers offseason what do you think is going to happen what have you been noticing yeah it's funny there were he had uh he had done some an interview uh earlier in the week talking about sort of the off season and talking about uh, this past season. And he said, no, we can't just look at that playoff stint, if that's what we're calling it. 
you know, we can't just look at that and judge the whole season because uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they had a phenomenal record in the regular season. They had top of the league power play. They were second in the division um, uh, an amazing regular season, but you also can't look at last year and only look at the regular season without looking at that quote unquote playoff run <laughs> in the qualifying round. So I, I really appreciate hearing those words from him because he wasn't being reactive about a, a dismal display against Chicago, but he also wasn't completely sweeping it under the rug and saying, Hey, look, we had 60 odd games, whatever it was that were amazing. So like, we don't have to do anything. You know, he, he acknowledged that both those things have to be looked at as a whole and dealt with. So what he's actually going to do with that, I don't know. Um, you know, that's for him to figure out. But there were a couple, uh, couple of contract negotiations that are being looked at that I thought were of mild interest to bring up. Uh, the one uh, that's been on everyone's mind slash no one's mind for the past year is uh, Jesse Pugliarvi. Who, oh, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you're supposed to think when you hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know the details, we drafted him fairly high. Uh, I guess this would have been years ago. I probably should look that up. Uh, so he's he's an RFA now. And he during his time in Edmonton, it wasn't working out. He wasn't living up to his potential. Edmonton, the organization, wasn't happy with him. He wasn't happy with the organization. So he went on back to Sweden, where he plays well. He plays in Europe. He's he's played a lot better since he got there. Now he's feeling more confident about his ability. Plus, there's a new GM and a new coach in Edmonton. So not the same people he had to deal with and didn't like dealing with before. So there's actually a possibility that he might get re-signed here, whereas the sort of what word on the street, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, that's been happening for the past couple of years has been we're looking for a trade because he doesn't want to be here. Now, it may or may not happen. Apparently, all options are still on the table, so it could be a sign in play or it could be a sign in trade. But they are uh, working on a deal for him to potentially come back and actually play for Edmonton. It's probably only going to be a year long deal in the 1.2 to $1.5 million range. Uh, but you know, I think it's worth it for both him and the organization to give each other a second chance here. A worst case scenario, it doesn't work out for either. And they part ways after that year's up knowing they tried. Right. Uh, whereas if you don't try, you sign him and trade him. And then all of a sudden he turns out to be a superstar. Then you look like you've got egg on your face. Um, or maybe he doesn't want to try and Edmonton turns out to be a really good team in the next couple of years, then he's, you know, has regrets of his own. So again, what's the harm? Let's, let's try it. Uh, new people, new blood in the organization. I'd say it's worth a shot. The other, uh, contract that's in the talks, but doesn't have to be dealt with quite just yet. It's coming up next year is uh, the one, the only, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Oh, baby. The number one overall himself. Yes, exactly. So uh, apparently progress is being made on long-term extension. Um, according to Frank Cervalli, uh, it's not done and it's it's not even close, but it is going in the right direction. So again, this is his last year, this coming season. 
so we still have a few months, I think. Again, I don't know how the calendar works anymore. <laughs> Just <laughs> nothing makes sense anymore. But I think we have a few months before whenever the trade deadline would hypothetically be. Uh, but, you know, they they better make this work, okay? If If they Ryan Smith this again, I'm out. I am just out of here. And for those of you who don't know what that means, you're lucky. You're not an Oilers fan who's had to deal with heartbreak. So <laughs> we'll just leave it to that. But th- I think this is an important deal. McDavid is the face of this franchise, no doubt. Dreisaitl gets all the points in the world and then some, no doubt. But Nuge is truly the heart and soul of this team. I know I joke with my Oiler friends about how great he is, but at the same time, he truly is the heart and soul of this team. And I will resort to physical violence against anyone who besmirches him. (laughs) I'm getting vibes of maybe the Nuge being Stu's favorite player here. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, There there may be some biases going on. (laughs) I, I I think it's also more just like, that would be the last straw. Like my heart was broken on so many other <laughs> players that were supposed to be the heart and soul that were, you know, my favorites of the Oilers at that time. Uh, so if this one happens again, I have, I have nothing left to give <laughs> to this wow. team. It will just all be taken from me. I hope for the yeah. sake of this podcast, then and that they get him signed. I, I, I'll have to put that pin that to my news or something like that. I'll be, I'll be yeah, rooting but- for him to get signed too. I don't want to see you broken. Yeah, that's a good point. Who knows where this this podcast will take a dark turn if that happens. <laughs> uh, the last thing that I thought was mildly interesting for, for Alberta hockey as a whole, actually, apparently uh, Ekman Larson was on the radar of both the Flames and the Oilers. And uh, I'm not entirely sure why, but he's there. We're looking, we're sniffing around, we're thinking he might be worth it. He has, uh, I guess, explicitly rejected both the Flames and the Oilers because <laughs> he would rather play in Vancouver. <laughs> Fine by me! <laughs> well, that's that's what I think about that. So I'm, I'm totally fine with Ekman Larson going to Vancouver. I didn't really see the potential there. I don't know what we were looking for, but I didn't see something that we really wanted out of that. So good riddance, I guess. Yeah, I'm with you there. It seems to be a few teams vying for his services, but he he makes $8.75 million a year, which is a lot of money, and he's kind of a declining defenseman. Sure, he was good at one point, but everything I've seen indicates that he's not as good as he was, so I'm not sure why you'd want a contract that huge on your team and why you'd want to like spend money to get it and the thing is or spend assets i guess and the thing is that he's signed for seven more years that's you know yeah that's a big commitment so yeah go ahead go to vancouver i'm totally fine with that uh if you can't if you don't want to live in alberta i don't think i have a problem with that All right, well, now it's time for the fan favorite, or at least it might be if any of our fans told us anything, the (laughs) Sellies and Scorn segment, uh, where we take some things from the hockey or tangentially related world and celebrate them or just hate on them a little bit for fun. You know, innocent hate. Well, sometimes it's less than innocent. But anyways, (laughs) um, Darren, why don't you start us off? All right, I'm I'm going to start with my scorn because it actually relates back to something we we're talking about at the beginning, and that is the asterisk on the bubble. And I said that 
there might be a small minority that thinks that Tampa didn't earn the cup. And, well, I found one, and I have his tweet saved in my notes. His name is Damian Cox. He is a sports writer, and he tweeted, Not as difficult to win a cup when there's no road games, no travel. Still a difficult thing to win at all. Tampa gave lots of sweat and blood to make this happen. But let's not compare bubble hockey with the real thing. Um, I, I think we've pretty well covered why we think that's a ridiculous statement. He basically just called those playoffs not real. It's not real hockey. And I assume Damian Cox watched quite a bit of it. And he must have been watching something completely different than me. Because every time I watched it, it was real hockey. Even without the fans, there was all of the emotion, all the intensity, all the injuries, you know, hitting. It was it was all there. And he says that the reason it wasn't so difficult is because there's no travel. And he's, you know, he's right. There was no travel. But in my mind, you substitute the travel with the staying in the same hotel room for two months, cut off from all the people that you love, essentially. You know, that's I would think that's just as difficult as well as the schedule was even worse with more back-to-backs and things like that. So I I thought that was a pretty bad take from Damian Cox that this wasn't real hockey and that it wasn't nearly as difficult to win the cup. Um, so that's my score. And I, I completely disagree with Damian Cox. I do not think there should be an asterisk on this Stanley Cup. I am so glad you brought that up because I saw those exact same tweets and uh, I was too angry to even save them to think about <laughs> talking about them on this episode because I just like, no, that's that's dumb. Yeah. What gets me about those is like the no no road games. It's like, well, actually, I think they're all road games. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's uh, right about yeah. no travel, but you're right. Uh, I mean, to those teams, pretty much every game was a road game. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you uh, brought that up. So, yeah. Um, I will share my score now, which is uh, similar-ish. Uh, so it's actually on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, so again, not taking anything away from their victory. We've already discussed how this was very difficult for them to do. And I've already said they deserve all of our praise. Good job for winning. How they have chosen to celebrate their victory is uh, a bit questionable. So they had a parade, as most teams do, and in most other years, that's probably not a bad thing. And it was actually kind of interesting because it was actually more of a water parade than a street parade. And again, any other year, that actually seems really cool. What a unique twist on the Stanley Cup parade. But again... I don't know for those of you who know the, or don't know the the world is in a bit of a lockdown right now, or at least it's supposed to be because there's this like pandemic happening. So you're not what? supposed to be out and about, at least you're not supposed to be crowded with people. There were tons of people at this thing crowded shoulder to shoulder. I didn't see any masks. I don't know if that would have made a difference. It doesn't seem to be worth it regardless. It just, like, only in Florida would this seem like a good idea. (laughs) And what really got me is the NHL actually reached out to Tampa to question them on some of their uh, behavior. And if you win a cup the year after St. Louis, 
and your behavior is questioned by the <laughs> league, you have to re-examine your life choices. <laughs> Anyway, let's celebrate some things, shall we? Absolutely. I'll I'll go with my celebration here, and it's it might be a little bit premature. This is a risky selly here for me, but <laughs> uh, October fifth, the Flames are supposedly making a jersey-related announcement, uh, and for us, October fifth is tomorrow. So, again, by the time you hear this, uh, something may completely different may have happened, but. <laughs> the speculation is that the Flames will be switching their jerseys full-time to the retro jerseys, home and away. Now, that would be the greatest news in Calgary Flames history. That would be better news than them winning the Cup, I think. Getting these retro jerseys full-time, There, I'm sure there is a myriad of opinions on the current jerseys. My opinion is they're okay. They're not that bad. They're okay. But the retro jerseys are spectacular. I think they are some of the coolest jerseys in the league. Yes, yes, Homer alert, that's fine. And you can disagree with me, but I think that the majority of the Flames fan base loves those jerseys so much more than the current ones. And they would probably fly off the shelves if they became the full-time jersey. Uh, so that's my selly. If that's truly what the announcement is tomorrow, and there's been pretty heavily confirmed speculation that it is, then good on the Flames organization. It probably took way too long, but that is an awesome decision that I can totally get behind. I just love the phrase "pretty heavily confirmed speculation." <laughs> that's that's <laughs> my favorite thing you've ever said. So thank you for that. <laughs> Listen, probably could have had a better choice of words there, but you get the idea. <laughs> oh, man, I am using that one more often. In <laughs> heavily, oh, now that you say it, that's pretty stupid, but I'll stand by it. Uh, well, that's okay. So speaking of homers, though, my Sally is one of the most amazing NHL players ever, obviously, as is evidenced by his performance in the Stanley Cup Finals. And that is evidently Patrick Maroon, without any oh. question. <laughs> Some listeners who may be more observant than I may be able to tell us exactly how many times I've talked that guy up. And I said that either I miss him or that Connor McDavid misses him or say that we should have never got rid of him. Well, for the naysayers, he just won two cups in a row with different teams. So he is clearly the X factor. There's no other explanation. Steven Samkos was there for how long? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Victor who? No, no. It's clearly Patrick Maroon. He just won the Stanley Cup twice in a row. No one else did that, at least that I were aware of. I didn't actually go through the rosters. I'm going to feel like a fool if they did. But that's a pretty unlikely feat. So um, although I, I do have to say he does receive my dishonorable mention for scoring this week by getting a 10 minute misconduct for blatantly shooting the puck into the stars bench after the horn. <laughs> not cool, Patty, not cool, but I still love you and congrats on the back-to-back -back cups. Uh, please, uh, Holland, get this guy back. He is magic. He is the secret sauce. Forget everything we talked about Dallas last time. It's all Patrick Maroon, evidently. So you're saying that, the only free agent signing that matters this year's Patrick Maroon and that should be your cup favorite. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. In that case, I will set my tracker to Patrick Maroon for this offseason and for some reason hope that the Flames pick him up.
Yep, I'm calling it right here. Whoever signs Patrick Maroon wins next year's cup. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Battle of Alberta podcast, everyone. Make sure to rate and like and subscribe to our podcast. That helps us out so much. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks because, as we said, the draft is coming up in two days from the time of recording, as well as free agency on October 9th. So I'm assuming both of those events will be pretty crazy and there will be lots of content for us to talk about in two weeks. So we'll be back with another episode then. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Yeah.